You often hear ultra-successful people muse about how their hard work and determination got them where they are, but they're lying to you and they're probably lying to themselves. There are a ton of people beasting 25-8 Corey Anderson style that never amount to anything, and it's because they didn't get a lucky break. Yes, hard work is the key, but without some luck there's not going to be a door to open it with, and so today we're going to take a look at 10 of the luckiest fighters the sport has ever seen, and I'm not talking about in the cage. Today is all about opportunities that essentially fell into these fighters' laps, and either cemented their legacy in the sport, or skyrocketed them to stardom. In a world where luck can change your life, these 10 fighters all hit jackpots. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 luckiest career breaks in MMA history. Number 10. Sokaju gets Pride 33 spot on looks. After just three professional bouts, the most recent of which saw him KO'd by Glover Teixeira in under two minutes, Team Quest's Sokaju found himself on the main card of Pride 33 against Brazilian legend Antonio Rogério Nogueira. Pretty sweet gig if you can get it, or rather an awful one. It was seen as one of the biggest mismatches in betting history. With Lil Nog coming in as a minus 2300 favorite, the implied odds of victory for Sokaju were 6.9%, basically no chance in hell. How did this completely unknown fighter find himself in this position? Teammate Dan Henderson, who kept pushing pridehead Nobuyuki Sakakibara to put him on the show. As the story goes, Nobuyuki saw Sokaju with his shirt off and said, alright, yeah, this guy's in. But he wasn't meant to fight Nogueira. Instead, the bout was meant to be against Cyborg Santos. But when Hojerio's opponent dropped out late, they asked Sokaju if he'd be willing to take on Nogueira instead, and he was like, yeah, sure, okay. Get this, Lil Nog knew so little about his opponent, he actually attended his open workouts on fight week just so he had a better idea of what he was working with. Incredible story. Sokaju would shockingly KO Nogueira in just 23 seconds, the first time he'd ever been stopped in his entire career. It's still largely considered one of the biggest upsets in the sport's history, and as far as betting lines go, it takes the top spot. A first round finish in his next fight of Ricardo Arona saw Sokaju in the UFC, but he would largely falter for the rest of his career. The win over Nog still very much his legacy in the sport. Number 9. Nate Diaz gets invited to tough. At 21 years old with a 5-2 record, Nate Diaz had just come up short in the biggest fight he'd had up to that point in his career, a bout for the WBC lightweight title against Hermes Franca. Diaz would be armbarred, the only submission loss he's ever had, and well, things were kind of up in the air at that point. The WBC had not yet been purchased by Zufa, that would come a few months later, and so it looked like the younger Diaz brother, who got the biggest payday of his career up to that point of $12,000 for the Franca fight, was to keep on grinding and get experience on the regional scene, hoping to one day follow in his brother's footsteps, who was on the tail end of his UFC run, about to branch off and become the star he would eventually return to the promotion as. It was at this time that the UFC approached Diaz to participate in Season 5 of The Ultimate Fighter. They specifically invited him. He wasn't the one who initiated the process. While his brother Nick had turned down a spot on Season 4, as he felt things just wouldn't have gone well for him living in a house with all these other fighters, he encouraged his younger brother to take the opportunity, seeing the potential it had to help Nate with his budding career. And oh boy did it. Diaz was was a seasoned standout, and would eventually win the show with another lucky break, as Manny Gamburian would separate his shoulder on a takedown attempt early in round two after dominating the first. Between his tough luck and getting the first McGregor fight, the MMA gods have been kind to Nate Diaz, at least a couple times. Number 8. Dave Manet is chosen for inaugural UFC Gold In April of 2001, the unified rules of mixed martial arts were created, and one of the changes that came as a result of that was the creation of the 185-pound middleweight division. As before, 
before middleweight was actually the light heavyweight that we're familiar with today. Zufa, having just purchased the UFC a few months prior, set out to expand the promotion's divisions and fill in that 185-pound gap. The question was, who do you get to fight for the inaugural title? The answer turned out to be 39-fight veteran Dave Manet and unbeaten up-and-comer out of Caesar Gracie's camp, Gil Castillo. Stockton 209 what? Now, old Gil was just 8-0, but he was stacking up belts at the time, winning the middleweight king of the cage title before defeating Nate Marquardt for the IFC welterweight strap. At the time, though, he was seen as unproven, but someone with a lot of potential. Manet had seen it all at that point. He fought everywhere. The Midwest, Hawaii, Japan, Kuwait, anywhere and everywhere they'd pay him to punch somebody. A few months prior to UFC 33, Manet was TKO'd by Hiromitsu Kanihara at the Ring King of Kings 2000 final, but things were different back then. You could lose in Japan, and a casual fan in the US didn't know about it. After four years and 40 fights, Dave would get the biggest break of his career in being chosen for that inaugural title bout, and he would win via unanimous decision. Given his unsung pioneer status, and the fact he would never win in the UFC again following his championship victory, it truly is a lucky break he has that place in middleweight history, because given his contributions, it's well-deserved that he's remembered, but had that fight never happened, chances are you wouldn't know who Dave Manet is today. Number 7. Mike Perry randomly ends up on a legendary card. It's amazing how a series of seemingly unrelated events can come together to create an opportunity for somebody. Mike Perry's UFC debut was pure butterfly effect. After being signed with the promotion at 7-0, plans were in the works to get Perry a fight. But it was not going to be at the UFC 202 card, and it certainly wasn't going to be on the pay-per-view itself. What happened is, well, first and most importantly, Conor McGregor skipped a press conference for UFC 200, and so his highly anticipated rematch with Nate Diaz was moved to UFC 202. Then on the main card, Hyung Yu Lim, who was set to take on Sultan Aliyev, needed a late replacement opponent after Aliyev injured his wrist. Perry was asked to step in on short notice and accepted the bout. After getting some buzz from his bizarre weigh-in stare-down and fake handshake, which I still love to this day, Mike was one of the card's standouts for both his in-cage performance, his bizarreness, and the controversy of racist remarks by his corner during the fight. Yes, his first ever bout would encapsulate in its entirety everything that has made Mike Perry famous. Weird stuff, controversies, and KOTKOs. He got to do it all, and as part of the second biggest pay-per-view in UFC history, on the main card, that's the butterfly effect in action. Conor McGregor misses a press conference for UFC 200, and Mike Perry becomes Mike Perry as a result. MMA is truly bizarre. Number 6. Mickey Gall more or less runs into Dana White. When it was announced that pro wrestling megastar CM Punk had been signed by the UFC, everybody wanted to know who it was that he was going to fight, who was going to win the CM Punk lottery. Many a fighter already on the roster put their name in the hat, and if you go on social media around that time, there was plenty of regional talent looking to pick a fight with Phil Brooks in hopes that it would be their ticket to the big time. In the end, though, it would be Mickey Gall and truly by happenstance. It's not every day that Dana White sits cage side for dead serious MMA in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. But in November 2015, White was there filming the first episode of Looking for a Fight. They were there to watch a teammate of Corey Anderson who was on the car that they thought might have some potential. Mickey Gall was not on their radar whatsoever. He was just making his professional debut, in fact. But after he defeated Ron Templeton in under three minutes with a rear naked choke, he grabbed the mic and shot his shot, asking Dana for a fight with the punkster in the UFC, and son of a bitch, it worked. <laughs> I love if 
like I'm in CM Punk. Well, pretty much, it got him into the promotion after a single pro fight, and he still had to defeat Mike Jackson first, but that was really just so they could put him in front of the regular UFC audience and do a proper build to the Punk fight. Gall's been in the UFC ever since, not a bad way to get yourself into the big time. Number five, Bob Sapp accidentally becomes an MMA star. You would think that a guy the size of Bob Sapp wouldn't need a lucky break in just about anything. Surely someone that gigantic could find someone to pay him for something, right? Well, believe it or not, that hasn't always been the case for Robert. In fact, things weren't really going that great. He was cut from the NFL, sitting out for almost two seasons with the Vikings following PED failures. From there, he would try pro wrestling only because he didn't want to work at the funeral home anymore, and he was signed to WCW. But when the WWE bought them, his contract was terminated, and that's how Sapp ended up in an episode of the Tough Man Competition TV series on FX, fighting 1985 Bears defensive tackle William Perry, aka The Refrigerator, in an amateur boxing match because that's what TV was in the early 2000s. Here's two giant dudes that don't know how to box, but they're somewhat famous. Let's watch them punch each other and see what happens. Sapp would win the sloppy fight, and shockingly, when this mess of a match was seen by K1's chairman Kazuyoshi Ishii, what he saw was dollar signs. An attraction fighter. And that's why I'm not a promoter, because I would have never picked up Sapp in a million years. But a big, strong guy is interesting to people. And so after six months of training, Bob fought at Pride 20, and for about four or five years, he would be a massive star on the Japanese MMA and kickboxing scene. Which makes me think that in an alternate universe, Refrigerator Perry KO'd Nogara at Pride Shockwave, and MMA doesn't even exist anymore. Number four, Ben Askren gets traded to the UFC. It's a Hollywood action movie cliche. The retired badass is just minding his own business at home, living his life, maybe he's carrying a tree on his shoulder, or eating ice cream with Alyssa Milano, and then trouble finds him. He's needed for one more job. He's gotta come out of retirement and be a badass just one more time. That's basically what happened to Ben Askren. At least the first part, I don't think the movie would have reviewed as well if it ended how it did for poor Ben. But you know what? It was still a massive break. After defeating Shinya Aoki and moving to a perfect 18-0, Askren vacated his one welterweight championship and retired from the sport, the one fighter that got away from the UFC, the one every fan would always have questions about. Now, of course, in MMA, when you retire, your contract often lingers with your last promotion should you return, and in the case of Big Ben, that fact would lead to a career resurgence and him getting the most hype and notoriety he would ever have. The wheels set into motion when Demetrius Johnson asked his manager Malki Kawa if he could get him out of his UFC contract. He'd just lost the title to Henry Cejudo, and his coach worked for one championship. Kawa was struggling to get Johnson released when he came up with the idea of a contract trade, DJ for Askren. And long story short, it worked. Ben wasn't even involved in the creation of this entire situation. He was simply an asset. But the benefit for him would be that he finally had that coveted UFC run. And while you might say that it was more of a bad break, keep in mind his star profile skyrocketed as a result, and much of the name power he has today came from that stint. Number three, Jason Miller gets bully beat down. While the UFC, of course, is what largely brought MMA into the mainstream in the United States, the impact of Bully Beatdown's three seasons on MTV cannot go unstated. This was back when the channel was still very popular and the show did incredibly well in its initial run, providing a small window into mixed martial arts that a lot of viewers probably wouldn't have been exposed to if they hadn't already sought the sport out. The show made host Mayhem Miller one of the most recognizable fighters in the sport. Miller was, of course, known to the hardcore fans, but his hosting gig really skyrocketed his market value as a fighter and as a brand within MMA. But did you ever wonder how it is that he got the job hosting? This show was no joke. Its producer was Mark Burnett, who, if you're not familiar, is like the king of reality TV. He made Survivor, The Apprentice, The Voice, Shark Tank, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And apparently a show that ran for one season called My Dad Is Better Than Your Dad. So yeah, he's a big deal, and as the story goes, one day he's watching some local TV in Texas, where he came upon a show where MMA fighters were challenged by regular people to fights. Which sounds incredibly dangerous and stupid, but Burnett saw 
gold and conceptualized the bully beatdown on the spot. While trying to figure out who could host, his co-producer found a funny interview that Miller had done that was uploaded to YouTube, and they reached out to him. He didn't answer some casting call, he didn't ask his agent to look for some work, reality TV god just found him like Apollo found Rocky, and the rest is history. What a break. Number 2. Seth Petruzzelli gets a CBS main event from the prelims. After failing to win the second season of The Ultimate Fighter and losing his only two bouts in the UFC, it looked like Seth Petruzzelli had probably made his mark in the sport of mixed martial arts. He was good enough to get to the big time, but would ultimately be an obscure trivia question at most in the eyes of fans. Of course, just because you've reached the peak doesn't mean your career ends, and a year after his initial UFC stint, Petruzzelli found himself competing on the prelims of Elite XC Heat against Aaron Rosa. This was a huge card. It would air on CBS, and internet legend Kimbo Slice was headlining against MMA legend Ken Shamrock. Seth's prelim bout wouldn't be aired or anything, but hey, a gig's a gig, right? While literally waiting to walk out for his fight which was next, Petruzzelli was told he would now be in the main event against Kimbo Slice, a fight that would be seen by 4.5 million people on network television. Holy shit, I mean it sounds like the plot of a bad Disney decom. How in the hell? Well, Ken Shamrock decided to go for a roll before the card and got headbutted, requiring stitches and his removal from the marquee bout. When CBS put the kibosh on Brother Frank stepping in at the last second, Petrozelli was chosen as, well, the sacrificial lamb for Slice. Basically, they thought it was the easiest fight for Kimbo. Instead, he knocked out the internet megastar in just 14 seconds, derailing perhaps the biggest hype train of all time, bankrupting Elite XC, and cementing his place in MMA history. Number 1. Steve Jenham bypasses all of UFC 3. This is my favorite UFC tournament ever because it's just a disaster, and it ends with the luckiest break possible for one Steve Jenham. The ninjutsu practitioner from Nebraska wasn't even scheduled to fight that night. He was simply an alternate, as these one-night tournaments can get a bit messy and sometimes a fighter needs replaced. It's just that the fighter who needed replaced on this night in 1994 was Ken Shamrock in the tournament's final. But the reason Ken needed replaced is just fantastic. So in the first round, Hoist Gracie has to fight a cross-wielding absolute unit in Kimo Leopoldo. And while he would get the win after a 4 minute and 40 second struggle, the toll it took wiped Gracie out. And so with the prospect of facing a very tough Ken Shamrock in the finals, Hoist threw in the towel before his fight with Harold Howard, allowing the Canadian to advance to the finals with just a single first round bout that lasted 46 seconds. After Shamrock had defeated his semifinals opponent Felix Mitchell, another alternate because Keith Hackney got hurt TKOing Emmanuel Yarbrough in the quarters, he decided to pull out before the finals. Not because he didn't think that he could go, he had planned on toughing out the injury he had sustained earlier in the night, but because Hoist had already dropped out, he thought there was no point in going out there hurt to either beat Harold Howard, or worse, get beat by Harold Howard. And so with nothing on the line for him, he left. And the legendary Steve Jenham, who hadn't thrown a single punch that night, was thrust into the main event, where he submitted Howard in under 90 seconds, and became a legend as far as I'm concerned. Also, his nickname is Ninja Cop. That alone warrants a Hall of Fame spot. I'm Bailey from Emerald Point, and yes, we are finally here in our brand new office. Let's go check it out. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to our MMA Challenge of the Week. Today, I'm joined by the greatest referee in the world, Mr. Mark Goddard. Would, I would punch him straight in the back of the fucking head. That's right, a brand new channel with brand new content. Welcome to Fight Front, the home of personality-driven MMA. Today, it's an MMA challenge where I take the worst-rated UFC character in UFC Undisputed 3 all the way to the heavyweight championship of the world. And I'm reacting to Colin McGregor. 
Make sure you scroll on down and hit subscribe because you do not want to miss all the new content coming your way on this brand new channel. And hey, it's me, Tommy Toehold, and I'm rolling around on a damn monitor. Huge shout out to the Lawton Veercan for masterfully piecing this video together. The casual can be found on Twitter and IG at Lawton underscore Veercant, where he's probably laying down some sweet tunes. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.